and we thought our president was bad. And Jeremiah started his ministry. He was born during Manasseh, but he started his ministry under the reign of King Josiah, who was actually a good king. When God called Jeremiah, which we can read in Jeremiah chapter 1, and verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth from the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And, said, and I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And then later on, verse 18, God says to him, For behold, I have made thee this day a defended, a defense city and an iron pillar and a brazen wall against the whole land and against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. So when Jeremiah started his ministry, he started with King Josiah, but after King Josiah, the land turned bad again. And God told Jeremiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach my word to these people, but they're not going to like you. But I'm going to make you stand amidst it. So God promised Jeremiah hardship. He did not promise him success. He did not pro promise him popularity. In fact, the opposite. He's basically telling Jeremiah, he says, I'm going to send you to these people. And your mission is going to be to preach my word. And it's going to be pretty much fruitless because they're not going to like you. And they're going to persecute you. And not only that, Jeremiah is eventually going to witness his home be destroyed and his people taken off in captivity. He just lives a hard life. And a man named Charles Finberg, who I'm not sure who he was, but I wrote a quote from him about Jeremiah. He says that his life may be characterized as one long martyrdom. Can any of you tell me what a martyrdom is? A martyrdom. Do you, can anybody you tell me what a martyr is? Nathaniel, can you tell me what a martyr is? So when a Christian is killed for their faith, we call them a martyr. A martyrdom just explains how they were martyred. Jeremiah's life was one that was so full of suffering, it's like, his, it's like if his entire life was just one long martyrdom. He had different trials. In chapter 16 of the book of Jeremiah, we read that God did not allow him to get married or have children. I think most people want to get married and have children. Specifically in that day and age, having children was a huge deal. That Jeremiah was not allowed to have that. In chapter 20, we read that a man named Pasher, the priest, beat Jeremiah and put him in the stocks. I want to show you, that's what stocks were. I think that's a picture of Paul and Silas when they were stuck in the prison. But they'd have their feet clamped in that, and it was not very comfortable. Someone beat Jeremiah and stuck him in the stocks. In chapter 26, we read that after God commanded Jeremiah to tell Judah to repent of their sins, all the wicked things they were doing, they drug him away and almost killed him. And they killed another prophet named Uriah for doing the same thing. You know, Uriah was probably Jeremiah's friend. There weren't too many good people in Judah at the time. And so he probably loses, almost gets killed, and then has one of his friends killed. Chapter 32, we read that Jerusalem's under siege by Babylon. And during that time, King Zedekiah arrested Jeremiah and stuck him in the court of the guard. So he's stuck in this place. And we see later in chapter 37 that he's imprisoned and given nothing but bread to eat until the city runs out of bread. 
And if that was bad, the next chapter we read that a group of men took Jeremiah and threw him into a cistern full of mud and were going to let him starve there alone in the mud. But an Ethiopian rescued him. You know what a cistern is? Cistern is a hole in the ground. I was often full of water. And uh, there's pictures of him getting lower down into it and a picture of the Ethiopian finding him. Those are some realistic, realistic pictures of what a cistern might look like. You imagine getting lower down in there and it's all muddy around you and you think you're just going to stay there and starve. But, well, I don't think he could climb up there. It's pretty far and it's probably slippery and full of algae. But, yeah, it probably smelled really bad too. But, you know, on top of all this persecution, in the very end, Jeremiah witnesses his home get destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and all of his people, and he loved his people, all of them are carried off to Babylon, captivity. And you know what his response was to this? It's actually, it's a pretty human response. We know more about Jeremiah, his personal life, than any other prophet. Part of that is he wrote more than any other prophet. But we see a lot of his emotion, a lot of his heart, and he struggled with this. But he also trusted God, and we see his trust rise up and fall down, and his mood swings throughout his story. I think it's kind of like, you get a picture of this looking at, you know, the story where Peter walks on water. You know, when G Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he could walk on the water. But when he looked around at a circumstance, he started to sink. And I think sometimes we see that in our own lives or in the lives of believers. What? Oh, Jesus didn't sink. Peter sunk. Because Peter looked at Jesus and Jesus said, come to him. And he could walk on water until he looked around. He saw the waves and he thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble. And Peter started to sink. I think our, our faith can be kind of like that sometimes. We look at Jesus and our faith might be strong and we look around at our circumstances and we start to doubt, we start to not trust God. And uh, examples of this are in chapter 12. He, you know, we see his heart. He asks God why he's allowing the wicked to prosper and how long his land is going to moan and wither. This is land was also in famine. Chapter 15, he asks God to remember him and to avenge his persecutions. And then ask why his pain is perpetual. Do you, can anybody tell me what perpetual means? Perpetual basically means it just goes on and on and on. Jeremiah's pain was perpetual. It kept on coming. coming. He even tells God, he says, don't be as a liar to me. But there's different interpretations of what that means. I do not believe Jeremiah believed God was a liar. But I think it shows his heart that he'd cry out to God, pleading for him to help him. And then chapter 17, one passage I'll read, he says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be safe, for thou art my praise. Again, he acknowledges God, because he does trust him, but he struggles. He says, Behold, they say unto me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hastened from being a pastor to follow thee, neither have I desired the woeful of the day, thou knowest. That which came out of my lips was right before thee. Be not a terror unto me. Thou art my hope in the day of evil. Let them be confounded who persecute me, and let, them, let not me be confounded. Let them be dismayed, but let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil, and destroy them with double destruction. He's talking about his enemies. And he asks God, he asks God, he says, Don't be a terror to me, but be my hope, because you are my hope. And then chapter 20, I think, is maybe the most beautiful example of Jeremiah's heart. He says, let me get to it. It says, after, after he was beaten and put in the stocks, 
He says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hath prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried out violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach to me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor will I speak any more of his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with foreboding, and I could, and I could not stay. And then a few verses down, he says, But the Lord was with me, a mighty terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, thou triest the righteous, and seest the reins of his heart. Let, thy vengeance, let me see thy vengeance upon them, for unto thee I have opened my case. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul from the poor in the hand of evildoers. So you see, Jeremiah, he struggles, and he talks about how he, he hates his circumstances. It's hard. He's under persecution. But then he says to praise God, because he trusts God. And then a, verse, a few verses down, he says, um, where is it? He says, Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A child is born unto thee, making him very glad. So he shows his pain. He acknowledges God as the one he trusts in. Then a few verses down, he continues with saying, like, I wish I was never born. So we see his emotions in his heart. They keep going back and forth. But we do see he trusts God and he acknowledges God. And so what is my point here? His point is that Jeremiah went through a lot and we see him as a man whose emotions were conflicting. But he was a man called to do a difficult task and he was wearied by it. However, God promised to be with him and sustain him. And not, that did not mean Jeremiah's life was easy. But God gave him the strength to stand amidst it and even though he watched his people fall, and he watched himself get persecuted and felt the pain, and he eventually, he eventually at the end of his life gets carried off to Egypt where he probably spent the rest of his life. But through that, God was still with him, even though it does not look like he had a happy ending. You know, endings are often what makes this story really great. I think the best stories are often the ones where things get really bad and the characters go through really hard stuff, but then it gets, everything gets resolved in the end. But when we read Jeremiah's story, we actually don't really read any resolve. And so it, it seems kind of depressing, but we have to look at, you know, we look at what we don't see, or maybe we believe in what we don't exactly directly see in a story. That's we trust that Jeremiah had an end that was better than anything he had on earth. He may not have ever had any resolve on earth, but he had resolve in heaven, and he got to go there. And he is now with Jesus, his Savior, and he's at peace. And he's joyfully fulfilled, and he's actually surrounded by pleasure. And it's kind of funny using the word pleasure, because I think we often use it in a negative light. But I use it positively here, because if you read Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist says, You make me know the path of life. In your presence, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And I, your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jeremiah did not have pleasure, and he did not have fullness of joy all throughout his life. He went through pain and suffering. But at the end of his life, he goes and he's with his Savior. 
and he's surrounded by all the fullness of joy and pleasure. And I think one of the greatest pleasures is actually experiencing the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. He didn't fully understand what his life was working towards. And all the prophecies he prophesied in Israel's direction and being captured, what that would lead to. But when he gets to heaven, when he gets to be with his Savior and he understands that, he's able to look back on everything he went through and he realized it was all worth it all. It was all pointed to Christ. And through Christ, he is able to dwell there in heaven in eternity, completely fulfilled. And he realized that he was part of a much bigger picture than just his circumstances. And so really, again, what, what's my point in bringing up Jeremiah? It's that like Jeremiah, we're all going to face struggles in our lives. Sometimes it's just going to be disappointments. Other times it's going to be real hard trials we face. You know, maybe something smaller like your dog died, or maybe you had to move, or maybe you've lost a family member, or you've lost a friend, or you've had parents divorced, or you found out you have a terrible disease or got hurt in an accident, or maybe a family member's rejected God, or they're rejecting you because you believe in God. But, you know, if if you've not gone through hard things, which I imagine any of us have gone through a fair amount of hard things, but if you've not gone through really hard things, it's most likely you're going to have to face that sometime or the other. And, you know, I can see that in my own life. Actually, the reason I got inspired to teach on Jeremiah was because I was struggling with some personal disappointments. It wasn't anything huge, but mostly just kind of a buildup of things. And, you know, when it kind of hit me hardest, I felt like God led me to Jeremiah. And I look at it, and look at Jeremiah's life, and I almost feel embarrassed to compare my struggles to his. Because I don't even question, I don't think I'll ever face struggles like he faced. But I see that God was faithful to him. God allowed him to stand, and then God blessed him beyond measure in eternity. And I realize Christ will do the same for any of us. And he will work everything out for our good. And we know that. It says in Romans 8.28, he says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You know, Jeremiah was called according to a purpose. He was called to preach Christ, or preach. He did preach Christ. He prophesied according, he prophesied about what would happen. He didn't quite fully understand the extent of what was going to happen, but he preached the message Christ had given him. And even when it says, he said he wanted to, it was a reproach to him, it brought him pain and suffering as people persecuted him. But even in the midst of that, when he felt like giving up, he said he felt that it burned in his bones and he couldn't keep it out. He had to preach Christ. He had to fulfill the purpose God had called him to. And if we do the same thing, and if we love God by obeying him, the Bible says love is keeping his commandments, we can trust that God will work everything out for our good. So no matter what you face, key is to not give up or to lose hope, but to love God. And your love for God is a result of him first loving us. And he will work everything together for good. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. So because of God's love, which has been poured into our hearts, we can understand that every trial we face is going to shape us and prepare us for eternity. And then in 1 Peter 4.19, this is one of my absolute favorite verses in all the Bible. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 
God is a faithful creator. He is faithful to you. He is faithful to keep you if you are saved. Because you couldn't, if it was up to you, you couldn't keep yourself saved. You could not keep your salvation. People say you have to work your way to heaven. That's not true. There's nothing good you can do to be saved or to stay saved. The way you're saved is believing in Jesus, and he is able to cleanse you and to keep you. But we're called to do good. So Christ will keep you. He's a faithful creator. And as we trust that he's going to keep us through no matter what, whatever trials we face, it's our responsibility to keep on doing good. And doing good shows that we trust Christ. We trust that he's going to be faithful to us when we're faithful to obey him. And so you know that Jeremiah, he faced hardships, but he didn't give up. And there are times where he wanted to, and he expressed that, but God gave him the strength to stand. And we can do the same thing. And God will, God has promised us, in the end, in heaven, we will find fulfillment. I know oftentimes it can be like, yeah, but that's heaven, that's later. I don't, I, w- I want fulfillment now. No Christian has promised that. And I think as Americans, we can kind of be spoiled because we're like, I'm used to finding fulfillment and fun and pleasure because we have it easy. But the church shouldn't start out that way. And there may come a day in the future where we can't have that as easily or as readily as we like if our country goes downhill. But one thing we have promised and that will remain is a fixed inheritance in heaven. And nobody can ever take that away from us. And God will be faithful to preserve us and to give us that. And when we get there, like Jeremiah, we'll be able to experience fellowship with our Savior and understand how he has worked everything together for our good. But as you do go through trials, keep this in mind. And also, I think one key thing is to pray to God. We see Jeremiah poured out his heart to God. And I read Psalm 62 this morning, but I'm going to read verse 8 from it. It says, Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. God wants us to pour out our heart to him because we have concerns and we do go through hard things. And pouring out our heart to him shows us, one, it shows that we acknowledge our need for him. And God knows our needs, but he wants us to hear. He wants to hear from us. He wants to see us dependent upon him and coming to him in humility, acknowledging that need. And I think as we pray, as we fervently pray, we will see God answer our prayers. It may not be what we want, but he will give us the strength to endure. And in the end, he will deliver us and give us the reward that he's promised to those who are faithful. All right. And did I miss any slides? Up oh, there's just pictures of them getting carried off into captivity. And we're going to sing, but let's pray. All right. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to us. Thank you that no matter what we go through, we can trust that you will give us the strength to stand. I pray that we would keep our eyes upon you and you would just give us encouragement. And Lord, even if we do not have fulfillment in this life, or even if we go through pain or suffering or hurt, help us to remember that you are working everything out for our good and help us to love you. And I just pray you would pour your, your love into our hearts and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I